What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? Today's the day, everybody, for book seven of the Dresden Files. Uh, For episode 136, Drew and I are covering Deadbeat by Jim Butcher, so let's dig in right away and get our weekly recap. Drew, take it away, dude. Yeah. Deadbeat opens with Harry in conflict with those closest to him. Living with Thomas is not all it was cracked up to be, and Murphy is off to Hawaii for a steamy vacation with Kincaid. But Harry can't dwell on that too much, as he is summoned to a clandestine meeting with Mavra, who did indeed survive her encounter with Harry in the last book. And she blackmails him into helping her find something called the Word of Kemmler. Dresden goes into full investigation mode, asking Bob for information, discovering a scary side of the talking skull spirit, and learning that Kemmler was an all-time powerful necromancer. He heads to the morgue to see if any strange corpses have shown up, but runs into a necromancer named Gravain. He and Butters escape, and he brings Butters home to protect him. Harry then heads to the local occult bookstore, run by Artemis Bach, and meets Bach's assistant Sheila. He buys the last copy of Die Leid der Erroking, not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, <laughs> I think it's which a pretty good Which he suspects tent. holds the key to a ritual Kemmler's followers hope to complete. On the way out, Harry is confronted by Cowell and Kumori, two extremely powerful wizards who want his new book. Harry fights off Cowell and is saved by Billy and the Alphas. With the clock ticking, Harry meets with Mortimer Lindquist once again and heads to check out several places around Chicago where necromancy has been performed, including the Field Museum. At the museum, Harry overhears information about an ongoing murder case and pursues it. He heads back to Box Bookstore and runs into the Corpse Taker, another student of Kemmler's, quickly realizing the Corpse Taker is the murdered professor's assistant. Harry is badly wounded but escapes again, this time with the help of Marconi, and gets dropped off at the hospital. From there, he gets more information and heads back home, only to find himself under siege by the necromancer Gravain. Butters is captured by Gravain's zombies, but the corpse taker arrives and attacks Gravain before Harry can execute a trade. Harry, Thomas, and Butters head to Murphy's house to take shelter, and Harry summons the Arrow King, hoping to trap the fairy and prevent the wild hunt from being used in the Kemmler ritual. Harry is attacked, however, and the Earl King escapes. Harry and Butters then head back to the Field Museum, where they find the word of Kemmler. Before they can escape with it, Gravain attacks, helped by none other than the Denarian Quintus Cassius. Harry makes a deal with Lassiel, and they defeat Cassius, but Harry is struck by his death curse, to die alone. Harry reads the word of Kemmler, and, with Butters beating his drum, raises the skeleton of the T-Rex Sioux. They head down to take on Cowell, running into the corpse taker and killing her with the help of the Wardens, before stopping the ritual with the help of Bob. Harry ends up giving the book to Mavra, warning her to stay away from then on, and accepts a job as the regional Warden Commander for the Central U.S. Hmm. Okay. So let's talk Deadbeat. Uh, let's talk Deadbeat. So, okay, yeah, we talked about it during Grave Peril. Um, oh my god, I thought it was going to be zombies. I remember. I think I remember saying exactly that. <laughs> Here they are, not unexpected. I mean, overall, I had said that during Grave Peril, that with vampires... Sorcerers, wizards, demons, three types of werewolves. I know they're different. I even said, like, I was like, I'm surprised this wasn't the reference to zombies. You know, they were expected. We have over 20 books to cover. Here they are. And it, 
was my favorite book of the seven so far. How about you? Uh, by far the best book in the series. Uh, by far. At least through the first seven. Like, it's not even close. <laughs> okay, um, tell me more. So much of the issues that bothered me in earlier books were either not present in this one or were rectified in this one. I thought Butcher's uh, sentence-level writing was vastly improved. I, I did not see nearly uh-huh. as much of the you know, awkward syntax or, or questionable word usage uh, that we were getting in earlier books. Some of the overtly sexist themes that I've had a lot of issue with so far were not present in this one. Uh, I I was, I will say, I was all geared up to be very angry about Sheila before realizing that Sheila was Lashiel. Yep. Um, Same. And, and that, you know, mollified me quite a bit. Mollified. That's a good way to put it. Same. Um, I, I totally agree. I I thought in general the way Butcher pulled together all the disparate elements he had been setting up over the previous six books, this is where this series, in my mind, has truly become an epic fantasy. This is no longer a, an episodic urban detective fantasy. This is a full-on epic at this point. Mm. And the combination of all of those things just put this book head and shoulders over all the rest of the first six. Well, I, w- I was on audiobook for this one. This is the first audiobook I've listened to in probably six months, I, oh, at wow. least since we finished The Black Company, I think. Um, but in, in a previous episode, Drew, you expressed interest in whether or not a certain mysterious organization was pronounced she. And yes, I've heard it is. Yeah, it turns out it, it absolutely is. I can also confirm that for you right here. And now I wrote that down when I heard it. I was like, okay, I can confirm this for Drew. It is pronounced she. Yeah. Yeah, that, yep. that was good. I, and I'm I'm glad it is because, you know, that's the, the traditional Celtic pronunciation. Yep. Yeah, and, and going to your point about, uh, I should say going on with your point about the sentence by sentence level of the of the writing here, there were lines that made me stop and go, Wow just a little bit and that they, they've been there before the prose was sh- it was shining in a, in a few particular spots like when we first met cowl in kumori i think it's kumori mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. where in this dark intense situation harry briefly touches on how cold it is with his narrative with his inner dialogue and then we get i borrowed frost from the wind and added it to my voice beautiful i like I wouldn't call much of the language that Butcher is using on a page-by-page basis as beautiful. It's functional. 99% of the words I seem to feel like are there for a specific purpose, but it serves only to make that extra 1% really special. He's the Butcher's not reaching. He's not pompous. You're totally right. I didn't really pick up on any of these awkwardly phrased things that sort of stuck out to me as I like that I had previously in other books, but he doesn't feel like he's swung too hard in the other direction. He doesn't feel like he's overcompensating. He seems to get, honest to God, inspiration here and there. And it comes across naturally in its if in, in its scarcity, if that makes any sense. His language sure. is pretty clean, but he's using it very well. Sure, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I I will say uh, the one thing that did stand out to me, and this was a completely off-the-wall thing, uh, because I don't know Chicago that well. Hmm. Um, Same. <laughs> I've been to Chicago... I think twice ever uh, and and just like very briefly, mostly passing through kind of thing. Uh, But Jim Butcher does not live in Chicago. Uh, He he lives in Colorado. That's actually kind of a surprise to me. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Uh, And, and there was one thing that popped out to me that I was like, you know, one of those little things that made it clear he doesn't live in Chicago uh, early on in the book where he's describing the location of the field museum and he says it's right across from soldiers field okay and i was like hmm, it is it's soldier field not soldiers field oh like that is a major chicago landmark that he got wrong see and i didn't even know that see yeah. it, and it wasn't until this book that i realized oh yeah uh the reckoners also takes place in chicago i totally forgot about that it wasn't until yep, i heard uh, soldiers a- field a oh. major scene in The Reckoners <laughs> also takes place in Soldier Field. Is that, a, is that a spoiler? That might be a spoiler. No. Nah, at least book, that, even if it hadn't, that book's been out since September 2013. It's fine. Yeah, it, it, it's not a spoiler. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, but, I was like, oh yeah, yeah Chicago. That, when I saw Soldiers, I was like, ah. God damn. <laughs> I'm sure he's heard enough about it by now then. Yeah, definitely. Oh um, yeah. But but that's that's just one of those things where you can do all the research in the world on a city, uh, but if you don't live there, if you don't know it intimately, little things like that will slip through. And like I'm sure if you ask Jim Butcher or if you asked him back then, he would have called it Soldier Field. Yeah. But in the moment of writing it, you know his his fingers had a mind of their own because it wasn't second nature to him. Yeah. It's just one of yeah. those very small things where it's like from a writer's perspective, it's hard to keep details straight. Yeah. When you're world building. I don't uh, imagine this if is you're lot... world building within the real world. Yeah. This doesn't strike me as something that'd be too much of a problem for anybody unless they knew um, the Chicago area well enough. And even if they did, they probably, not everybody would be bothered by it as well. So I can see why. Yeah. Like, I think it actually goes to to say something that I wasn't even aware that he didn't live in Chicago until three minutes ago. Yeah. Uh, that was a surprise to me. So I think, you know, that in itself, he, it, to, to someone who's vastly removed, it sounds like he knows it pretty well. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's definitely done a lot of, a lot of research, you know, uh, bringing in different neighborhoods and uh, different kind of cultural yeah. landmarks. I mean, if, in the if Harry Dresden started describing this, 30 foot pink dildo monument i probably would have just believed it was there because <laughs> butcher makes it sound like he knows the area pretty well oh man but, but uh yeah. but yeah generally speaking with the writing style in this book i i don't have much to complain about i i same i'm really glad because last book was such a struggle for me well, I, see, I still, I still really, really, really liked Blood Rights. It's number two for me. It's still number two for me. <laughs> I, I just liked the 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 development of the relationship with Murphy and Harry, like standing in the hallway with his hand out and just like having his hand melted while he saves lives. It's just, it's just so badass. There's so much fun in that book. I, 
But this one's better. This one is better. This one is the best that I've read out of the seven, still unquestionably. The action was still entirely there. That's my last style point. And like you, I don't have anything to complain about today. I don't think, (laughs) at least for style, you said for style. It was above and beyond how much I liked the last book, and I liked it a lot. And really, honestly, if anyone had act- like actively tried to spoil something for me out of this book that would have been as ridiculous as a zombie Tyrannosaurus Rex charging down the streets of Chicago to deliver Harry and Waldo Butters to the apex of a tornado where they're going to save the Wardens and the rest of the world from evil necromancers, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have believed it. I'd have thought uh, whoever so was... That's actually really funny you say that, because I called that the moment what? they went to the field museum... At the beginning of the book. Oh, the museum. Okay, uh, okay. At the beginning yeah, yeah. of the book, the moment Harry walked in and, and described Sue, I, uh, it, it, in the really? uh, Legendarium Discord that I'm fairly active in, they have a you know a whole channel about Jim Butcher, and I commented in there, and I was like, there is no way Jim Butcher is not going to have a zombie dinosaur. During that the climax is, of this book, that is I am one way. Absolutely, calling it right now. This thing is getting resurrected. Wow, <laughs> that is one way in which you and I differ. I did not call that at all. Not at all. I have a whole point here in later my miscellaneous about how unprepared I was for that oh. and how much I loved it and how because of how much it surprised me as well. I mean, yeah, God, I made it was, two predictions early on. Uh, I remember one of them, and you nailed it. Chat. Yeah, that I, I I said Bob was the book, which yeah. was sort of right. Yeah, I mean, basically, uh, he 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 had the information of the book, but the book also did exist. Um, yeah, but yeah, and then and then the the T Rex. Yeah, so good I mean, old Sue. the the fights with Cowell, um, fight with Broski. What's Broski's name? Uh, Kemler's apprentice, Grimal, uh, Gravain. Thank you, thank yeah. you. Uh, the showdown with liver spots, is it? Was it his nickname until it was Cassius? Yeah, Cassius, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, in typical Dresden fashion, the book was a blast nearly all the way through, and there were no real slow or boring points for me. That's my last style point. I just, nothing to complain about style-wise. Nothing. Yeah, I thought this book was paced very, very well. It was awesome. Um, the fact that he didn't have to really worry about a mystery in this book... You know, like, you could kind of tell as we got further into the Dresden Files that the narrative conceit of having Harry solving a mystery um, became less and less interesting to Jim Butcher. Yeah. Because each book, you know, starts with a mystery. Mm -hmm. And by the time we got to, like, book three or four... The mystery is solved, like, halfway through the story, and then it's like, all right, what's the fallout? That's what Butcher is more interested in telling. It's like, the, the story is more interested in telling. He's not here to have Harry solve a mystery. He's here to have Harry get embroiled in massive supernatural conflict. And yeah. in this book, you know, we're given the mystery. What is the word of Kemmler? And then, like, the next chapter, we have Bob be like, oh, this is what the word of Kemmler is, you know, like, <laughs> and and then it's just Harry running around and dealing with all of these uh, Kemmler apprentices, and like the closest thing we get to a mystery in the story is Sheila and and Lachiel, but that's not the the mystery we're given at the beginning of the book, you know. It, it, 
he's not telling a detective story anymore. He's telling an epic fantasy. 100%. Sorry, I was sipping coffee there, but that was um, a good point to end our style discussion on, I think. you Are you ready yeah. to jump into characters? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, Harry, as is usual, I loved Harry in this one. I loved how arrogant and cocky he was at times, which that's never been something that I've really disliked him for. There's been a whole bunch of other reasons, which were pretty much not present in this one, or if they were, I didn't notice them. They weren't obnoxious. Um, but I just, I loved his attitude in this one, and I I, I know, Dresden being facetious, surprise, surprise, but I, I still love every time it happens. This first meeting of Cowell is where he was really shining, you know, refusing to hand over the book. This whole, again, I must answer, bite me, you know, it's just that I loved Harry's attitude in this one, and I don't have any complaints about him this time, I swear. So, yeah, I talked about this on the Blood Rights episode where kind of the the only thing close to a saving grace for that book, for me, was that Harry finally got character development. Yeah. And, yeah. and here, once again, he's getting character development. It's uh, And this time, of course, is with uh, Lashiel. And I had actually highlighted a couple of things early in the book uh, uh, where it seemed Harry's emotions were inflamed a lot, like for no real reason. Okay. Um, and I highlighted it and I was like, oh yeah, like this is totally Lashiel influencing him, right? Yeah, and, then yeah, it, yeah. and then that kind of came full circle and yeah. came to understand, yes, she is. Um, that, that she has been locked away but there's a little piece of her that still is bonded to harry that that she can use to influence him and and he starts getting these dreams and and the uh you know what do you call it the illusion of sheila and i liked that because it made harry change as a person and mm-hmm. it made him change not for the better. Like, we're we're in the middle of this series. We're not even halfway through. Yeah, um, and I like that. And, I like that knowledge. It, it feels good. But when you take into account this idea of the entire story arc, um, at this point in the story, your main character needs to be changing and needs to be changing in a way that creates complications that creates problems. Otherwise, in the grand scheme of a story arc, uh, it's not going to be compelling. Uh, or at the very least, it's it's going to feel rushed if you save that sort of um, conflict for later in the arc. Hmm. Uh, you, you need time to develop these difficulties uh, in the relative pace of the series yeah and so here i'm glad to see butcher is finally doing this finally building in um uh, dynamic flaws for harry yeah i really dig where harry's oriented in in terms and beyond that even in terms of, of his father and that whole dream sequence um it wasn't as particularly moving for me um, as I kind of wanted it to be, if, if it had ever happened. But 
it didn't feel like it really needed to be either. Like, I mean, questions about what's actually happening aside, is this in his head or not? I still think even if Harry's just hallucinating, he's clearly manifested a lot of his more positive ideals in this figure, in this memory of his father. And it still adds a lot of substance to Harry, for me, as a character. Like, and I, and I love that you brought this up. You, you're totally right. We've made it to book seven now, and, and his main character is still dynamic. It's good stuff. Um, his his conversations with Thomas and their chemistry, they're, they're starting to get a little more comfortable with one another. They're letting the other one in a little more. Uh, no Freudian slip there, I promise. Um, I particular uh, like Harry. This one Harry and Thomas scene is going to make it into my favorite scenes this week, and I, I'm sure we're already all thinking about that scene right now. Um, it wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me if you had it in your favorite scenes as well, Drew. Like Butcher's doing great things with Dresden in this one. I don't have anything to bitch about on this front, and our audience knows by now. If you've listened to this much through our Dresden episodes, especially, you know if there's something to bitch about. Rob's probably gonna find it. Uh, no complaints for Deadbeat. Harry was enjoyable all the way through, and he was so the vast I, majority of my complaining. I do through. have a complaint. Okay. Um, and, and this kind of bridges a character thing with a writing style thing. Oh. Okay. I don't like the dream sequences. And the, like, subconscious sequences. The conversations with his darker, better self. Yeah, like... Okay. Narratively, I understand why Jim Butcher does use them. But most often, they come off as, like, major cop-outs. Where it's a way, an easy way for Butcher to write himself out of a corner that he had previously written himself okay. in. Okay. Uh, I had a big problem with it in Grave Peril where Harry like dies but doesn't die and gets to like talk with his own ghost. Oh yeah, no I, I that um, pissed me right off. And and then we we have this scene here with with him and Lashiel and his whatever his subconscious and like these kind of things are so hand wavy okay. that they very much come off as like a, a deus ex machina and that bothers me. Okay. Um, um, I, I the, totally agree on with you for grave peril. I'm 100% there with you. That pissed me off as much as it sounds like it pissed you off for this one. Doesn't bother me at all. So I'm going to have to give it some thought. I'm going to have to give it some thought and see if I can come back to you and tell you why one bothers me and one doesn't, because it's bothering me that it doesn't bother me. <laughs> I will say the dream sequence with Lachiel, the uh -huh. first one, with like the hot tub. Okay. That one I thought was good, because that has like a real, um, how do I put it? It doesn't feel like a hand wavy, write myself out of a corner, solve a problem scene. It's a scene that adds conflict. It doesn't resolve conflict. Hmm. And I actually really liked that one. Because it, it brought in a new layer of what is going on with Lashiel. Versus the whole, like, three-way conversation near the end, you know, I, in the Field Museum, where it solved a problem. I I, I kind of see the three, the, the conversation between the three of them as uh, the, the, the barriers between what Harry wants 
you know, really kind of wearing thinner. I think that's more of like a, of an ominous thing, finally seeing like a version of himself agreeing with her at the end there. I, I don't know why it bothered me. Something like that bothered me in Grave Peril, but it didn't bother me in this one. But, I, uh, I just, I don't like the motif of separating the main character into an external version of the main yeah. character. Yeah. Like that bugs me. What about okay, what about the um the dreams that were not dreams, they were hallucinations with Sheila. Uh didn't have a problem with those. Okay. I don't know why you actually would. They are separate enough. I don't know what I'm trying to imply there. I don't know, I'm I'm just trying to I guess I'm trying to figure out where your confusion is and where it ends. I don't have confusion. Sorry, not confusion. <laughs> Sorry, your your uh, issue with it. Yeah. Slight as it is. I, yeah, I think what it really comes down to is that uh it's using a very nebulous, hand-wavy, magical conceit yeah. to solve problems. Normally that really irritates me. That, that don't have prior established, like, well, reasons for how this can happen. It's just like, oh, by the way, now Harry can talk to his own subconscious. Oh, by the way, he, now Harry can talk to his own ghost. He like, did do that in like book two as well, didn't he? When he was first, be first told himself, I suppose. Oh, also ask out Murphy, dude. You're seriously suppressing here, like. Yeah, but we don't know how the this mechanism. Works. Though. Like, like, yeah, you're right. The mechanism like, isn't it's explained. Just so. Mm, I, cool I, if it I was explained like later. That, that literary device. I what don't if it was like explained later? Device. Would that change your mind? Maybe. Depends on how it would be accomplished. Yeah, it's it's that's a good point. You shouldn't just like be able to decide that on the spot. Yeah. It it just feels like a a, a literary cheat. Hmm. I don't agree, but so. I may agree later. Who knows? Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm done with Harry. I want to talk about Butters. Anything else about Harry? No, I'm done with Harry. Okay. Waldo Butters. You can probably hear me smiling about when I say this guy's yeah. name. It he is sheer character gold, and I have nothing negative to say about Waldo Butters. How could I have anything negative to say? He's wonderful. He's a very entertaining character. Uh, I I don't have any particular feelings for him beyond that. Like, really? Like, he's fun, but I don't feel a whole lot of depth to him. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Like, he... He very much reads like a a an entertainment piece he, for the story. He does read a little bit, come across a little bit synthesized, I suppose, if I think about it. He's 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 the underdog. Like, everybody loves an underdog who's awkward and still like yeah. endearingly trying to find courage. You know the mm-hmm. uh, the the whole obsession with polka. I think that I thought that was like a nice touch of eccentricity without really being obnoxious. You know? Yeah, like while he's fun, he he feels a little stereotypical. Like there's yeah, no, I think I agree. Uh, um, like he's he's kind of just an amalgamation of tropes in one character, <laughs> rather than feeling like a fully realized yeah. human being. Yeah, I mean, I think he makes a wonderful side. You're, you're totally right. I think I just I again this is this is weird for me. You're explaining things that make me not like characters, and I agree about <laughs> that with this character, and yet I still love this character. This is like yeah, a I'm, theme I'm not for saying me today. I dislike him. I just 
I, I'm not like blown away by him. Sure, yeah, I don't. Yeah. He was fun to read about. Like, leader, like he, yeah. he made me smile. He made me laugh. But I, I don't feel any kind of like. You know, oh my gosh, I need to dig into you know, this character. You know why he might be resonating with me so much? He reminds me so strongly of a friend I actually had in high school who I just haven't spoken to in forever, you know, uh, named Bogrand. <laughs> we, we all called him Bogrand. That was his last name. He really reminds me so much of, a, of an old friend of mine. That might be why uh, he really resonates with me. I don't, okay. That could be it. Sure. But I want to make a prediction about him too, uh, Butters. This is my first oh, prediction yeah? for today. I mean, it's... Kind of a low. It's, I'm kind of reaching for low-hanging fruit here with this prediction. It's kind of easy, I think. Uh, he's gonna die, and it's gonna be super touching and heroic in the future. But I don't want him to. I really don't want him to. I love this guy, but I could see it. I hate that I'm making that prediction right now, but that I think would it's be gonna happen. Thematically resonant. Ooh, yeah, I like that. Also, the whole uh, Harry. I didn't realize you were gay. I just wish you hadn't felt like you needed to hide it from me. You know that that whole oh. joke. Even if even if Butters was a bad character, that it still would have been worth it to make this character just for that that whole bit. But he's so wholesome and he's so honest and he's so brave after every like one hundred percent a Butters fan. This guy is love him. So that scene actually really did bother me. <gasps> what? Because really? it was it was so artificial. Uh the the fact that Harry never just says he's my brother. Harry mm-hmm. lets it go on and on and on. He like he tries to be like no no I'm not no you you don't like but he never just says like dude he's my brother. Like mm-hmm. that if if you were actually in that situation where somebody's like oh I didn't realize you were gay yeah. with this guy you'd be like no he's my brother we're not gay I suppose that's literally the first thing that come out of mouth but for the sake of the joke. Butcher doesn't have Harry mention he's my brother. I was so lo- that the I- joke can go on for another two pages. <laughs> yeah, I. It's a good point. Yeah, like, this is this is why like Butcher occasionally makes me laugh, but I I find uh, his humor in general very underwhelming. I love it. I love like, it. Yeah, I I'm like, a hard no yeah. on that. I love it. <laughs> Um, that is everything I want to say about Butters. So much of his humor is very clearly telegraphed, like artificially set up where he's like, I, I have this joke in my head. I need to make this happen on the page. It doesn't feel natural for the characters. And that's Mm. why a lot of it doesn't land. I feel that way with some of the allusions and I mean, allusions, a L L, uh, like Uh a lot of the references, I feel like the situation is can kind of feels a little artificial just to set up a particular one-liner. Yes. I, I do feel that. I felt a lot of that. I think, I want to say it was during Summer Night or during, um, what was the name of book five? Uh, Death Masks? Thank you. I'm drawing a total blank there. Oh, my God. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah I, I can see that. I don't feel that way about this, uh, but I feel that way about the one-liners mm. on occasion. Yeah, yeah like, it, when, I, when I think of the authors who make me laugh the most... Well, yeah, I think of Glenn Cook, Aaron Alston, Scott Lynch. Kane. I've been listening to Kane Matthew again. Stover. Oh, Scott Lynch. How could I forget Scott yeah, Lynch? Yeah, like, th- these are authors who who Stover. write the humor very naturally into their stories. Uh, and and it, it doesn't feel like, with, with one very notable exception with Scott Lynch, which I don't care about because it's still maybe the funniest thing I've ever read. Is that in book one? Can you tell me that? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
where I'm pretty sure he came up with the conceit of using flashback scenes in that book just so he right, could set right, up right. this one right. line. I know exactly what yeah. you're talking about now. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's like the most it. artificial direct setup I've ever read, and I don't care because it's friggin' hilarious. It's perfectly done. Yeah, but but most often it's like, no, this is a natural outgrowth of the rapport these characters have where they're going to be cracking jokes with each other. And and I don't feel that natural flow to a lot of the humor in the Dresden Files. Hmm. Okay. I feel that if I were to, to, to gauge it, I would say it feels 80% natural to me. It, I, st- I don't really have much of a problem with it. Okay. Sometimes uh, I feel... I, yeah, there's some one-liners. Maybe, yeah, but yeah I'm moving on from butters. butters. Okay. Uh, who do you who else do you have notes on? Um, I, I just have one little note about Cowl to say that he's somehow both cliche and intimidating anyway. Like he's just really, really powerful dude. I wasn't expecting him to thoroughly whoop Harry's ass that first time. That was pretty crazy. It's, I don't it kind know of if feels I'd good. Thoroughly whooped his ass. Well, that's how that's Harry how Harry portrays it. I should say that's how Harry portrays him. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Harry did throw a car on him, and that was cool, yeah, but yeah. he he outright says more than once. He's like, I toe to toe with this guy. That showed me that I really should not do that. Yeah. But that's only I, it feels good to, to know that there are still bigger threats out there that aren't like apocalypse and you know, types of threats. Sure. Good um, good to know that. Uh my I mean like this is an interesting book because it feels much more Harry-centric. Uh, in previous books, you know, we ended up talking a lot about Murphy or a lot about Michael or Susan or whomever. And here only Butters has that kind of a role. But but Butters doesn't have the same depth to his character as, as Michael or, or Murphy, you know. Uh, and okay. so a lot of what's going on here seems really, like ancillary well, we um, haven't had much maybe not ancillary but like tertiary uh i i didn't get a huge grasp of character outside of harry but i did get some like potential um the biggest one being ramirez i think we're gonna get a lot more ramirez going forward okay uh, the the potential of bringing in a uh, a warden who you know as as an organization they've been set up kind of antagonistically toward Harry throughout this yeah they have <laughs> and then you sure. get to meet a, a warden who's not only not antagonistic but openly kind of worships Harry you know, uh, I think we're going to see a good uh, a, a good amount of him going forward. I also liked Lucio, um, hmm. but but she's she's the the type of character who I I don't think is going to get a lot of development. Like you know, you you have the older, hardened, uh, veteran character. Yeah, they're, they're not going to change. Uh, they'll just be around until, I like until they die. Inevitably, they die. Right? Yeah, but but Ramirez is a different kind of character, and I think we're going to see a lot of development with Ramirez going forward, or at least I hope so. 
Uh, see, I didn't like Ramirez. And there's really only one reason. It's, it's not really particularly fair to Butcher to, to say this is my reason as well. He just reminds me too much of the Lopen. He's too... I don't know. I mean, I can see like the enthusiasm sort of thing. And the way he talks himself up so much to the point of hyperbole. To the point it's supposed to be funny, but it, after like yeah. three or four times, it's like, alright, I get this guy. I get every joke he's going to make from now on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't get... Like, uh, how do I put it? I, I got that vibe, but he doesn't do it nearly as much. And so the few times he, he did kind of do that, I, I was able to just sort of roll my eyes yeah. and, and keep going. Uh, it wasn't an oppressive amount of forced humor there. Uh, uh, yeah, but... I mean, he's, it's a, he's, Butcher seems to be good at that kind of humor. Like, I, I feel... I don't want to say that he, like... Ramirez has Ramirez has bad jokes or jokes that I it's just I, I I don't like the kind of character. But it seems like Butcher is writing some funny lines. Objectively, I'm looking at them. And I'm like, this is a funny line. Like he does seem like a laugh. Ramirez does. Okay. Uh, and my last character note here. Uh, Billy and Georgia. Oh, I totally forgot about them. I was a little <laughs> I was upset with uh, Georgia for giving the SUV to Harry. I'm like, come on, girl. How many pieces do you think you're going to get this SUV back in? How do you think this works? But, hey, I was surprised it kind of didn't turn out that way. Hmm. Well, hold on. Am I forgetting something? The SUV wasn't completely obliterated, was it? it, it I mean, it was pretty darn damaged. Was it? I don't How, think where it was, was it damaged? Com- I was waiting for it, and I, I'm totally... Because he kept, like, running into things when he was trying to... Oh, it. well, that's... Be- okay, I thought you meant, like, it was yeah. going to... I was expecting it to be, like, stepped on by a T-Rex as soon as I saw the T-Rex. Oh, oh. <laughs> um... But yeah, with Billy and Georgia, uh, they remain some of my favorite minor characters in this series. They're pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, I I like that they're getting more chances to be part of Harry's life. And that they're getting chances to mature. You know, when we first met them, they were, what, like 17, 18 years old? You yeah. Know? Like and now they're... In Billy's case. Yeah. yeah, now they're a couple years older, and... And are starting to step into adult life and are engaging with Harry in more adult ways, uh, more on an even playing field where they're like, look, we love this guy, but he's not the perfect superhero we once thought he was kind of thing. Yeah. You know, Uh, it's like we're concerned and we can help him. In, in a way other than just like, oh, we'll be your backup on the street. Hmm. Yeah. I, I didn't write down anything in particular about these two besides that, that SUV thing. But uh, I do still want to see more of them in the future. And I, it's, again, it feels glad to know that we still have how many books, man? Like 14, 15 believe, books still to go? I believe we have 10 more published books in the series. And then there's some like short fiction collections that yeah. I'm still not sure what we're gonna do with those yet. But I've looked this up so many times, and I keep having my lines blurred about yeah. like, oh yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be a book that we're covering. This one's not a just yeah, probably driving people insane constantly saying how many books are there. This is like <laughs> book seven. We should know that by now. I'm pretty sure there are 17 published novels right now. Okay, Costover had said he he has read. Like twenty of them. 
I mean, yeah, that was that was like a, I'm sure a, a ballpark guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. as of 2020, Butcher has written 17 novels. Okay. And then he has some short stories, one okay. of which apparently I have read. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, that's bombshells right. about uh, yeah. another character who we've already met. Mm-hmm. Um, my last character my, from that I want to talk about today. I just want the opportunity to bitch a little more about Morgan. I. Mm-hmm found it difficult not to add another five to ten minutes of editing for you to have to do drew to clean up the verbal sewage that i wanted to spill forth when i discussed this pompous arrogant self-righteous asshat and i want to say i'm sorry but via morgan as like i cannot have any respect for the wardens as as a as a group and i'm upset just on principle that harry has now managed to find himself counted as a member, as among them. Morgan is just so unbelievably, and I mean that literally, unbelievably, as it like it stretches reason that anybody can be this level of completely unreasonable and a sheer virtue that Lucio has managed to employ this guy for so many years without picking up on what a monumental douchebag he is. Like, she has to be such a terrible, terrible judge of character, she can't see that this guy is one frothy lip away from starting his own religion based solely around hating Harry Dresden. He's he's Masima, but not in a good way. That's a vague reference. He's yeah. a, but I just... He, he pisses me off so much that he is a, the kind of characters uh, character that makes me hate other characters just by association. <laughs> I hate him so much. So much. And then somehow, under God, somehow, it pissed me off even more. The Wardens decide to appoint Morgan to Lucio's old position. Morgan! After... I just... <laughs> I will say, I was glad that we finally got um, kind of a... a the, that conflict came to a head where we got some development to it. I was so hoping where it's not was... just blind antagonism anymore and that Morgan and Harry both gained a little more understanding of each other. I was so hoping that he would end up deciding no, I'm going to try and kill Harry anyway and that the wardens would have to put him down like a sick dog. That's what I was hoping would happen. Hey, look, it still might happen. I mean, Morgan makes it clear at the end of the book that he still sees Harry as a threat. He just I wanted thinks it to that right Harry's now. motivations yeah. are different from what he originally thought. I'm disappointed that it happened right now. And somehow, even though Lucio and Ramirez, they were, they were there to witness how completely unreasonable Morgan can be about something that he just wants to believe. And they decide, you know what? Lucio's too injured to continue with her duties. Who are we going to appoint? I know it's Morgan's our guy, right? Like the, the the decision there. It may just be a seniority thing there where their hands are kind of tied as well. You know what? They're not exactly the the sheer number of wardens who got killed in this. Yeah. That's, you know what? There's not exactly a whole lot to choose from as far as... Yeah, that was... Hearing those reports yeah. about the, the Red Court offensive with the... That was crazy. Yeah, the, and they the went over outside that demons. Yep. Um, uh, do we want to... Do we have any more character points? Or do we want to move into miscellaneous and predictions? I'm down for miscellaneous and predictions. Okay, I'm going to use this as a jumping off point then. Okay. So the, these reports about the... 
you know the battles and and everything and uh and we got a couple of quotes let me see if i can find this um so first off harry talks about uh the outsiders right you know outsiders were so rarely spoken of they were all all but a rumor Yes. I wasn't really clear on all of the details, but the Outsiders had been the servants and foot soldiers of the Old Ones, an ancient race of demons or gods who had once ruled the mortal world, but who had apparently been cast out and locked away from our reality. There was a specific law of magic against contacting them. Thou shalt not open the outer gates. You know, and it goes on a little bit from there. Yes. And we get the whole breakdown about how you know, the... Council's been betrayed, and and this, that, and the other thing. I would like to call back to that that law of magic. Thou shalt not open the outer gates. Uh Uh-huh. One member of the senior council must have been the betrayer, and we have a member called the gatekeeper. Yep. (sighs) We went him in book four, I believe. You're saying my third point here, my miscellaneous. I love it. Yeah. The gatekeeper is definitely the traitor, right? I mean, if he's not, he knows something. I mean, he's the gatekeeper, right? Yeah. This has drew. This has, this has all the flavor and the groundwork now. The groundwork for being this a sort of like maybe like an all-time biggest biggest threat sort of deal, like final conflict material. These yeah. outer gates, the outsiders. We saw we saw that really crazy stone in the last. I think was that was the last book, yes. right? Book six. Yeah. The the like. Yeah. Anti-matter death From, energy. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I just I hope this goes that way. It's so badass. Yeah, I, I mean, we have the old ones. That's some major Cthulhu, nah. HP Lovecraft <laughs> energy right yeah. there. Um, I'm down for it. That's all I want to say. I am down for it. Yeah. Yep. Um, we've uh, since we're doing predictions. Um, we've had we had not one but two separate mentions of Murphy Murphy's <laughs> Murphy's father. Uh, both were by like the halfway point of the book too. I think I we yeah. I got that second one, and I was like, okay, well this can't he be was a coincidence with the supernatural. Yeah, we're going to meet him, right? Or, or he's dead, right? We're not going to meet him, but he's going to yeah. somehow become important to past events that are shaping current ones. That's what I'm thinking. It would not at all surprise me if on some level, like, Murphy's dad and Harry's mom knew each other or something like that. Oh, my God. Or, or I actually hope he, that's not the case. He ended up hunting her after she went rogue or something like that. Hmm. I could I could see that happening interesting it would just feel like a bit of a stretch that they would happen to meet again in their and to become friends and perhaps more later in life but yeah. I mean, it's great narrative material though or it really is um yeah. but yeah i think murphy's father is going to become important somehow i mean he was important and we'll learn how important or something like that but absolutely okay next i still have like five or six points here but i'll give you a chance to throw one on Mm, go for it. I think I only okay. have like one more. I want to so. say, I, I love how the arrival of Sue was foreshadowed so early. Like you said, you picked up on it. You knew it was coming. I didn't realize how early it had been until I until I realized, oh my God, it was there. It was so offhand and subtle that it just makes me angry. And I mean, angry in a good way. There was a line, <laughs> there was a line so many chapters earlier when Harry, I think it was a dream sequence when he's talking to his father. He sees or he feels the approach of something huge through the trees. Um, and he sees the trees parting as it draws closer. I think he's even looking down to see like uh, maybe a 
drink that he has, or it's definitely not a puddle, I don't think, but he sees the water rippling with the thumping. And in the moment, Harry's like, it's Lassiel, isn't it? But I'm obviously stupid, stupid me. I'm thinking about Jurassic Park, as I imagine many people are here. And I'm <laughs> laughing about my own stupid brain going to T-Rex. I didn't even find it weird when he introduced, like Butcher introduced Soothe the Skeleton at the museum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Butcher goes, he seriously went and added zombie Tyrannosaurus Rex. And it was, it was not awkward because I realized in the moment how amazingly led it was. It was, it was... A, I keep using the word. I'm going to use it one final time, and that's it. I'll bury the word. Amazing. So I, I just went back and looked up uh, the the message I sent in that Discord server. Yeah. And I said, I, I don't remember where exactly this was, but it was it was like when Harry was at the Field Museum. I was I was at that point in the book. Um, and and I said Sue is definitely getting reanimated during the climax of this book, right? No way Butcher is going to neglect to include a giant dinosaur zombie skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. I wouldn't, I, I have no shame in admitting that that one I was prepared for precisely 0%. I, not even in a, I no. I had no clue that that was coming. Well, so I, I had sent that, and then I, I remember messaging that, that server again a little later, because there, there's a, a conversation between Butters and um, and Harry, and and Harry talks about how, um, uh, well, oh, so so Butters says zombies look human, specters look human. Why not whistle up a pack of decayed rats, or maybe semi-corporeal mosquitoes? Why use people? Oh, and and when I saw that, I was like, oh. I am definitely right. And then oh. like two paragraphs further down, he says, um, how come Gravain had fresh corpses when he came to get me, but he attacked your house with old ones? I mean, I saw those things up close. Some of them must have dated back to the beginning of the 20th century. Same reason they animate humans instead oh, of animals. I know where Older going corpses this. leave a deeper metaphysical imprint. They're harder to call up, but once you get them here, they're easier to control, stronger, and more difficult to damage. And I'm like, all right, well, we got a 50 million year old dinosaur skeleton. Oh, I think but- it's older than that. <laughs> that's that's actually one little thing that I, I said, you know, I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to bring it up. <laughs> now we're since we were talking about this specific age. I thought 65 million, I'm pretty sure Tyrannosaurus Rex was extinct long before that and uh, it really, 66 to 68 million years ago that, that was the time of the impact of the crater but they lived during were they alive at the time of extinction uh the fossils of t-rexes are dated in, oh. in the 60s well then i'm completely talking out of my ass on that point right there yeah but still it also it proves in it just how scary scarily powerful harry dresden can be with the right preparation or even sometimes without the right preparation i mean this thing is tens, I, mean, I should say dozens of millions of years old. Definitely had the help from a fallen angel on that one. In tr- in terms of sheer power or just knowledge? I think she just gave him I knowledge, both. right? I, oh, I, both? Well, he's, we've already seen that she's impacting and, and uh, empowering his magic with the hellfire. Or is she unlocking it? I mean, she's still, well, it, the, she's still the imprisoned. specifically from her... Like the connection to the fallen angel. Huh. 
that like his even his like basic things are being healed by hellfire instead I got the impression that she's still technically, you know, bound and that it's just an imprint of her, of her, you know, personality that she's left on him and that she's using his magic in ways that only, you know, Lassiel would know oh, how to use oh, it. Oh, no, I, 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 the impression I got was that only a, like you said, only a small bit of her is imprinted upon him and most of her is bound away, but that small just bit her... of her is still giving him extra ah, power. Interesting. Interesting. That's even a little scary. I may be wrong. It? I I don't know all the mechanics of this magic sure. system, but that was the impression I got. Huh. Um. Uh, see here, Sue here. Oh, I have a I have a really stupid point. <laughs> um. You'll you'll see why it's in my miscellaneous. I, I swear. I was listening to the audiobook again this week. I was listening to audio. I was doing my regular work day in the shop, and I got to this line about Morgan uh, near the beginning of chapter thirty-one. I wrote it down when Harry was meeting the wardens at McAnally's. Morgan gives Harry, and I quote, a look that could burn holes through sheet metal. Or something very very similar to that. And I stopped confused. I was uncertain if I'd, listen, if I'd heard that correctly. And I, I had, as it turned out. Morgan shot Harry a look that could supposedly burn holes through sheet metal, as I was, in the moment, literally doing burning holes through sheet metal. <laughs> literally what I was, I was using a plasma cutter. I mean, there was, the holes were square in this case. I imagine eyes that burn holes would probably... <laughs> round holes this is a really dumb point i promise that but it still kind of just weirded me out i was that was like what did i hear that correctly i thought like my brain had somehow confused the two different tasks that i was doing working on this and listening to the audiobook i thought it had tied them together by accident i thought i was having a miniature stroke in the moment but no i i heard it nice Nice. so i just had to bring that up oh i i totally forgot one of my predictions my my final prediction oh my dude die alone I mean, oh, death sure. curse. Uh-huh. I actually think Harry's going to flip this one around on us when it appears that he's going to die as one of many. Maybe he'll be like with Murphy, Bob, Thomas, Kinsade, Susan, or some combination of all of them. I feel like he may be in a moment where he's going to, to die with them and he will exploit this to save them. Because I, like, I almost want to say like this curse to die alone is going to flip the universe on its head if it needs to to end up working to save others to make sure that he dies alone it would be so perfect for the character of harry dresden he would die doing what is right or whatever that means perhaps but yeah i can see that happening yeah i I like that prediction thank you yeah thank you so i only had one more miscellaneous point and i guess this is also kind of um kind of a character point too but it's talking with um, with his subconscious, and and his subconscious says, "Take the high road if you want to. Choose to walk away from this strength in the name of principle. But after your noble death, everyone you no longer protect, everyone who might one day have come to you for help, everyone who is killed in the aftermath of the Dark Hallow." Every life you might have protected in the future will be on your head. That is some massive grade A philosophical bullshit right there. <laughs> that is yeah. so dumb. Yeah. Like, it, it, it physically pissed me off to read that and then have it actually sway Harry. I was like, this is so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I am, uh, no, I agree. 
yep, yep. Yeah, and, and then he, later on he says, I went through the logic of his argument and didn't make any headway against it. I'm like... Oh, yes, I remember that line now. Oh, I do remember that yeah. line. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, we'll have to see. <laughs> we'll have to see if he uh, really holds himself to that kind of, well, as you guys, you called it, bullshit. Um, we're, we're, we're through predictions. I have one last miscellaneous point. I just want to say, I lo- Butters won my heart at the very end with his gift to Harry. A guitar? Uh, I can't wait to see how shitty Harry is at playing guitar. It's going to pair <laughs> so well with his sour attitude. I and it, it's, it's going to be something that Harry Dresden and I finally have in common. Yeah, there Both you go. suck at guitar. <laughs> you don't suck at guitar. I su- shut up. I suck. Yeah, I've, now, I've seen I've seen and and heard Rob play guitar. He uh, doesn't suck at guitar. Favorite scenes. Favorite scenes. Favorite scenes. Okay, I'll start. Okay, but. Uh, I was just talking about Butters. Butters returning to save the day during the fight with Cassius. I, honestly, since I was listening to audio, again, I've brought this up like four times now, I honestly thought this was going to be the end of the book when I first got to it because I didn't have any, like, physical feel on how much of the book was left, right? I was just, in the, in, you know, in the middle of hoisting a jig and, and welding. Um, so... I didn't realize that, that this was just going to be another climax. Like, this is one of the many climaxes in this book. And I thought that... Uh, Kemmler and his damn word are going to be our first multiple book arc of conflict. Nope, this book just kept going. I love the sheer pacing of it. Yeah, um, I'm still talking about Butters here. Waldo Butters. This is a rare occasion where I knew something was coming and it didn't bother me at all. Like, we, we spent so long focusing on what a coward he supposedly is. It was brought up so many times by Butters himself a few times. There's no way he could do anything but risk his life heroically in this one. I honestly thought he was going to die here, right? Um, when Gravain had him, I was scared that that was it, and I was getting ready to be pissed at Butcher for making Butters go out like that. But, nope, he still had his chance to shine, throwing himself into the fight to save Harry, bringing uh, Mouse along. It was just, that scene was joy, joy, joy. I loved I loved it. Butters saving the day, and uh, it was good stuff. Nice, nice. So, so my third favorite was fewer spectacle, Harry and Butters ride Sue. <laughs> okay yeah like look at a certain point you just can't argue with the spectacle you i agree with that 110 percent yeah one absolutely absolutely i mean again it, it is so ridiculous and it still works Man, like Butcher manages to make it work in this book. But like I said, you I would not have believed it if somebody had tried to spoil it for me. I would have just written that one off as, oh, this person's trying to prank me. <laughs> so good. It's so good. Um, so my second favorite, meeting Alicia, with air quotes, in the bookstore. The description. Uh-huh. That first description of the darkness inside her. That was just, that was chilling. That was intimidating. That battle of will, that blank concrete wall, so dark, so scary. I, just, I loved how ominous that scene was. It spooked me. And so that's my number two. Uh, just on virtue of physical reaction I had to it. In, that, in this case, Goosebumps. Nice. Yeah, uh, honestly, that scene didn't stand out to me too much. But I can, I just, I can see that. Yeah. I just love newer and bigger threats that are not apocalypse threats. I just, I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. So, all right, number two, dude. Yeah, 
So, uh, Harry meeting the Wardens in McAnally's. Ah. There was something about this scene. Uh, it was a feel-good scene, even as it was a terrifying scene. Where you have Harry with this expectation about getting Warden back up. And then his Warden back up is a bunch of rookies and then the actual leader of the Wardens and and Morgan, whom he hates. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is... This is horrible when you start hearing what's happened to the, the rest of the wardens, what's happened to the senior council. And at the same time, there's this foundation of relief because the leader of the wardens is there and she likes Harry. Yeah. It's a really good balance of expectation balance of emotion um moving back and forth between good and bad throughout this scene i thought it was really good writing Hmm. yeah excellent that's a good choice and then somehow didn't even occur to me when i was doing my favorite uh choice my favorite scenes here in prep for this episode yeah so Uh, what's your favorite so my favorite and I'm so glad you didn't take this. Uh, Harry and Thomas in their run on the beach. Was this mm. your favorite as well? It is not. Oh, okay, cool. All right, well, I'll continue with this one. Uh, specifically, the moment where Thomas challenges Harry to a race, which I love that it was also used later as a point in itself, but the hunger of a vampire, yada, yada. It was cool. Um, mm-hmm. But specifically, the sheer brotherly and childish nature of this scene, the moment where Harry's like, like he's, he's challenged to this race and he's beginning to protest. He's like this... This put upon sigh and the whole oh come on you don't seriously expect me to and then he just hooks the ankle shoves him and I bet I I freaking bet that if you could actually be there in that moment and stop time you would see a fraction of a smile on Harry Dresden's face right there and for that and for that for that alone that this is my favorite scene yeah you you're definitely all about the the brotherhood stuff oh shit yeah I am yeah and I generally like that stuff too I mean. There's a reason why The Black Company is one of my favorite series of all time. Yeah. Uh, but but my favorite scene is a little different. And it is the dream with Lachiel in the hot tub. Okay, that's the first one, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was just so filled with portent. Ah, portent. Like, that's a good word for it. It was fraught. I... I don't know. It, it, it fulfilled a lot of promises since the end of Death Masks. And even even if Lashiel is a pretty straightforward, like, femme fatale, seductress, you know, type character. Yeah. In this scene, I thought it worked really, really well. Uh, partially because there was a, a sensuality to the scene that wasn't necessarily predicated on sex, which I think would be the, the easy way out for butcher for sure. Especially with the way he's written Harry. Yeah. No, I like that. He's adding dimension you know? to this but temptation. It's, yeah. It's 
more about the the pure sense of Harry's never been in a hot tub before. A hot tub oh. is outstanding. Like hot tubs are the uh, best, man. Like that feels so good, <laughs> yeah, especially good. when you're bone weary. You, like yep. Harry, you've been, you know, physically engaged and beat up and bruised, and then you dip into a hot tub and you just melt into it. I mean, I've only like, been in a hot tub once in my life. I think. Really? I think. Oh man! When I was eighteen, seventeen. Yeah, I, I mean, like, like hot tub. That that was a. Uh, a staple of hockey tournaments for me. You know, teams on the road. Yeah, dude. We, we play like two, three games over the course of the day. You get back to the hotel. You're sore. You're tired. You go and you dip in the hot tub. And and that soreness just melts out of your muscles. Good social environment. You just relax. Found that out. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, great social environment. But But in this scene specifically with Harry... It's it's all about the sensual nature of the hot tub, the soothing, comforting aspect of it. It's not one of these like exciting, passionate, overpowering temptations the way you know Susan is or something like that. Right, right, right. But it's a quiet seduction. Yeah, and I I liked that dimension of Lachiel's uh, engagement with Harry. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. We never talked about Bob. I, I just realized that. Huh. I mean, I guess oh. you did bring up Bob very briefly when you said, you, you, which you totally did call uh, him being the word of Kemmler, <laughs> or at least close to it. I feel like people are going to be like, what, you didn't talk about Bob? I would have said that coming out of book one. I love Bob in the first book. I was like, huh. Uh, this is the first book that, to me, Bob got any kind of real personality. I love Other it. than being a, a source of information. That wink at the end. That was so cool. I yeah, thought, yeah. dude, I thought Bob was honestly going to inhabit the T-Rex. I mean, wait, he, he did, didn't he? he yeah, Tyrannosaurus yeah. Bob. Sorry. I was prepared yeah. to say that I that he wasn't going to have it ripped away from you. He totally did. Tyrannosaurus Bob, I think he was called at one point as he swept a claw or, or his tail. That was pretty cool. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, 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 man, that might have been my favorite scene if I'd remembered it during my favorite. That's called an honorable mention for now. And <laughs> get into our conclusion. Our final draft, I should say. Unless you have any closing thoughts about the book, a boot. Oh man, that was Canadian. Oof. No, I, I, I think I'm I'm done with my points. I am so deadbeat. overly caffeinated right now. I can't even speak. Okay, so for my final draft entry, I am drinking a legitimate Tim Hortons coffee this time. It's been a while since I've had my Timmies, and um, <laughs> there's nothing else to say it's an amazing coffee i started drinking it around 11:30, so unfortunately now that it's 12:30 a.m i'm gonna be up for a few hours i'll probably be doing some writing or some homework but i just there, there is there are few things better than a than a, a pure timmy's coffee i will just say that very nice mm. what are you drinking dude I am drinking a classic beer. Oh my goodness. You had warned me about this. Well, not warned me, but you had prepped me for this one, primed me for it. A classic. Okay. This is a beer from Toppling Goliath Brewing Company in Decorah, Iowa. Uh, They're a pretty notorious brewery. Some of their barrel-aged beers are among the most sought after in the world. Uh, But this is is just a double IPA uh, brewed with citra hops. It's yeah. Well, one one of the beers they made their initial 
um, reputation on. Super bright, fruity, nice bitter bite to it. Very tasty. Uh, what's the ABV on this actually? Um, is it listed? I don't know if this has an ABV listed on it. Uh, I do not see an ABV. It still blows my mind. I say it every time. It still it still blows my mind that that yeah. that's even legal to get away with. But that's fine. It doesn't. The ABV is unimportant. Sure. What is important? Yeah. Is the name. Oh and no. Even even on top of that, the label. Uh oh. Okay, I have to open the webcam for this. All right. Oh, Here you we go. need to open the webcam. Oh god. This beer. This I'm about to wake up the rest IPA of my family, aren't I? Okay. From Topline Goliath Brewing Company is called King Sue. Oh go. F- <laughs> And it has a giant T-Rex on the I, label. I almost added so much sensor work for you right there in that moment. <laughs> that The moment. So when I made that prediction my God. in that Discord server. My God. That evening, before I had even finished the book, How are you I went to the liquor store and bought a can of this. Because I was like, "There's, I, I'm certain that I'm right. And, and immediately, when, when he went to the, the museum and I was like, oh, oh, it's Sue. Because th- that dinosaur, that, that exhibit, that's what this beer is named after. Oh, my God. And they also have another uh, IPA called Pseudo Sue. That's oh. uh, not, not the, uh, the full beast that King Sue is. It's a, a lower ABV. Mm. But, uh, but, yeah. The, you King were right. Sue. When you told me this may be the best beer that I've brought on, I, I, I had, I was like, you are not beating Maiden's Kiss, you are not doing that. You may have done that, <laughs> my guy. How, how are you still outdoing yourself 136 episodes later? Mm. It is. Uh... That is phenomenal. I can't think of anything that would that I, if you if I were to invent a beer right now and have free reign over what it would be called, I don't know if I could name it something better than that. The only thing that would be if, if they had like Zombie Sue or something like or that. Or Tyrannosaurus they did a, or something. Oh my gosh, in fact, uh, that that's not even an unreasonable name for a beer. Um, if they had done a collaboration IPA with Three Floyds Brewing Company, who their like flagship IPA is called Zombie Dust. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, this has been a a trend, you know, like breweries collaborating, uh, but specifically collaborating and naming beers like a blend. In fact, Toppling Goliath just did a a barrel-aged stat collaboration with Central Waters in in, uh, Wisconsin uh, called uh, Toppling Waters, I believe. And, uh, you know, so if they had done a collaboration IPA with with Three Floyds, it could have been called Zombie Sue. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that'd have been cool that would have that would have been incredible I, I i mean there was no way i would have been able to get my hands on that since those two breweries are in iowa and indiana and mm. and that kind of collaboration would have been a brewery only release it'd but, been a heist yeah uh but i cannot complain with king sue yeah don't do that it was, it was, oh my goodness <laughs> on the nose of that one again again oh love it i love it 
This is like one of my favorite things is when I get a really, really good beer. I, I, I love it for me every single week because I get to react to this crap. It's unbelievable what you can pull off. I don't understand how you managed to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh and and I'll say this uh, for, for our listeners. King Sue is a, a pretty readily available beer. Uh, they distribute this uh, all across America. So, you know, if, you, if you're interested in trying this one out, check out your local, you know, bottle shop or, or liquor store, uh, craft beer store, and, and see if they've got it. That said, this has been episode 136 of the King Out Loud podcast. Best Dresden book yet, man. <laughs> Next up... I am not sure whether it's going to be Proven Guilty or uh, Star Wars X-Wing The Kratos Trap. Um, it'll, it'll depend on how things play out in our schedule, but it'll be one of those two books. Um, uh, yeah, if, if, it's, if it's The Kratos Trap, uh, that'll be John and myself. If not, it'll be Rob and myself for that episode, but one way or another... Stay tuned for more Dresden Files. If you want to support the show, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud or on coffee, ko-fi.com slash inkingoutloud. Uh, you know, your support is greatly appreciated and is a major, major reason why this show is still going on 136 mm-hmm. episodes later. Yes. Um, not just... Uh, 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 not just the mainline episodes even. I mean, I think with all the Patreon bonus episodes and, and general bonus episodes, we got to be closing in on what? 160, 100, at least. 160, 170? Yeah. Something like that. It's been... So many original pieces from... years of us Danielle. recording episodes. Yeah, and man. we would not be doing that without the support of our patrons. Oh my God, it has so, been. thank you if you are one of those. If you're not, consider supporting the show. As always, I've been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.